KYW Original Podcasts. Philly Soccer Show. I'm KWW's Greg Orlandini with Matt DeGeorge from the Delaware County Times. This week we talk with former U.S. Women's National Team player Lori Lindsay. She's also an in-studio analyst for the Philadelphia Union. So Lori, let our listeners know uh, how you got involved with the Union uh, broadcast. Um, yeah, well I just recently, at the beginning of the year, relocated to Philadelphia and um, a really great friend of mine, Jill Lloyden, who I played on the national team mm. with. We know Joe. Um, yep. yep, exactly. And so she used to do some with the broadcast a few years back. And um, I have done a lot of NWSL, MLS, and um, just a ton of different broadcasts. But since I was going to be local, I was like, well, now's a great time to, to try to get involved. So made the connection and have been chatting with those guys over at Philadelphia for at the Union, excuse me, for uh, several months and then finally able to get some dates to work. So um, here we are. All right. So now that you've, uh, you've been kind of the uh, institute analyst now, what, uh, what are your overall impressions so far of the season? I mean, the Union, they're, they're first in the East in kind of an unconventional way because they haven't gotten, you know, they had two big signings with, with Santos and uh, Marco Fabian, haven't really gotten the contributions from either of those guys yet, but you know they're getting a lot of contributions, kind of from all all over the roster. So, what what are your impressions of them, kind of having this this really great uh, uh, position in standings, but kind of in, in an unconventional way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a sign of a good team when you have, as you mentioned, some big signings, but um, maybe not yet have um, come to fruition in terms of what they expect from those guys. But any time that you start to have everybody on your roster contribute and not just relying on a few a few players is is massive. So I think that's what you're seeing is full team performances, and actually, which is going to help carry this team. I mean, because when you see um, call ups or injuries occur and, and you need players, then um, then it's always a good sign, especially when you have young kids. So, hey, Lori, I, I wonder what you kind of make of the atmosphere at uh, Talon Energy Stadium the last few weeks that uh, you've been down there. I think we, you know, Greg and I, for as long as we've been covering this, kind of get a little. Uh, we get a little blind to maybe the nuances of what the atmosphere has been like. Uh, what have you made of that the last few weeks and, and, and kind of some of the crowds and stuff like that? Oh, it's been massive and, and, and so fun. And it's such a, I was fortunate to, as a player, play um, at the stadium as well. So it's just um, true soccer stadium. Um, obviously, we know the surroundings and what that's like. But when you have the energy and the support of the fans and the team's doing well, um, you can't ask for anything else as a player. So, so fun and uh, brings back memories for me. So I'm like, this is fantastic. So Union do have some reinforcements coming in. Is, uh, the striker situation, the attack hasn't been quite as sharp, I think, as they've wanted it to be. They have a, uh, got a, you know, had a cup of coffee with the national team. Uh, Andrew Vooten uh, is coming yep. in soon. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your impressions of where he fits in uh, as he, you know, I think, He's available on around the 9th of July. Yeah. Well, I mean, anytime you have somebody coming in that could uh, put the ball in the back of the net and help alleviate some of that, um, it's going to be massive um, for this team, especially when we're talking about a team that um, has had troubles in the final third, but also, um, you know, no one's really standing out in that category. So to be able to bring somebody in that could potentially help in that area and alleviate um, some of that, alleviate in terms of like, um, some struggles in that area is always um, is always important, especially once you start to get into this stretch of the season, like the second half of the season. Because if you have your entire team and squad starting to perform and um, players are stepping up that you didn't actually expect to, um, but then hopefully start to get um, some more of these big name players contributing in a, in a different way, then you and you're also high up in the standings and doing well, surprisingly, right for a lot of people. So um, it's always just. Um, a good boost at this time to to bring somebody in that can be a difference maker. From the psychology side of it, as a player, um, you know, the union this year have had a bunch of different guys that have kind of vied for those minutes up top with Santos mm-hmm. and Shiboko and Pico. And now you bring in a guy who's going to be the competitor to them. What do you think that does for that group in terms of 
Is it a motivator? Is it a demotivator? And, and, and what do you think from your experience that a coach can do to make sure that that motivation pushes everyone in the right direction? Well, I think you just, um, as a coach, you, you make sure that you are, um, being specific about people's roles, that this is a competitive squad. We're looking to, to win championships here, um, and, um, and make moves, especially um, going into the second half of the season. But as a player, it um, it it could go either of ways. Right? It could be a demotivator or a motivator. But realistically, it should be a motivator because that's what you're here for. This is professional soccer. I mean, you're vying for a position, and you're looking to bring the best players in. And um, unfortunately, in, in the role of a, a striker, if you're not producing – then they need to bring somebody in that can, right? So that doesn't mean you're not contributing in other ways, but you're expected to score goals. That's what is expected. And so um, at the same time, it should be a motivator and it should elevate this team to an even higher level in terms of uh, producing in the final third, but just producing as a team as well. Because it always is a benefit as a as this whole entire squad when you have somebody um, – when you have everyone performing, it's amazing. But if you have somebody that can be a go-to player – that is just um, it. It relaxes the team, I think, in some ways because you know that they're going to score, or you have to have they're going to draw attention to score, which it just opens up more opportunities for others. So, being around the team now, uh, now that you are, um, what, what have you been? Some of your impressions uh, with Coach Curtin? Uh, he's he's a guy that's been here for a while. We've talked to him a lot. We always like talking to him. He's definitely come in in previous years for some criticism uh, about just you know to play the team and all that. But you know, this year he's. He's got the team playing, like we said, really well. They're in first place, and uh, a lot of things are clicking for him. So, what's just kind of being around him and being around the team? What, what have your been, been your impressions of coach? Yeah, well, I haven't been around him a ton, um, just um, in terms of my studio work yet, and I think that will um, increase as the season goes on. But at the same time, I have been around him, and and what I like about him is he's. Um, even killed with his players. I mean, he expects a lot, but he's also been there as a player. So he understands the highs and lows and the pressures of a team situation and um, in different parts of the season and what that requires. I mean, sometimes in the middle of the season, it's like uh, you can always find some, some lows or it feels like it's dragging on. So um, to be able to understand that as a player and be able to understand that psyche, um, I think is massive. But also then just stay, stay even keeled as well in terms of riding the waves, realizing that you can be just a few games away from um, being at the top or um, when it's close to the standings. Also just in making sure that you continue to get road points, um, as we saw on Wednesday night, right, getting a point away from home and um, doing what you can and just keep the team ticking along and then find those moments, um, as we're seeing with Wooten coming in, um, bringing in players or doing something that's kind of kind of disrupt or even like create a spark amongst the team to kind of rejuvenate um, as you go, because you always have kind of like those those waves throughout the mm-hmm. that, throughout the season. Um, so shift gears a little bit to probably another subject you could uh, give a lot of knowledge of. We're in the middle of the Women's World Cup. Uh, U.S. women are looking really, looking really good right now. Heading into a match against France, uh, what have you been your uh, uh, impressions of the, of the tournament so far? Oh, it's been unbelievable. Um, I think we're seeing visibility. I think we're seeing higher level conversations that don't just um, relate directly to the field. I think we're talking about. Um, funding. We're talking about visibility with the women's game, what that looks like from different federations, what that looks like from FIFA. Um, so I think it's the visibility of this tournament, the the quality of play is elevating the conversations around the women's game, which in my opinion is needed um, massively. Um, and we're also seeing such high quality soccer and um, we're also seeing, unfortunately, a bit of, um, I, in my opinion, scheduling mishaps mm-hmm. <laughs> in how the brackets were because France and the U.S. are matching up tomorrow in the quarterfinals, and that potentially could have been the final, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you're you're seeing some of the best soccer that's ever been played, um, and it's and it's amazing, and that's why we're seeing the viewerships that are breaking records, and um, it's exciting. And as a fan and a former player, I am so jazzed up about tomorrow. I'm I'm so happy you didn't mention VAR once in that answer, <laughs> Cause, cause, because yeah, I, I, as as I'm watching this World Cup, it seems like this is one of the most open World Cups we've ever seen, and there's so many. You know, I think VAR is probably one of the top talking points so far, but it's overshadowing what I think should be one of the top to- talking points. We is 
which is when you look at some of these countries, and Spain's a great example, um, but even some of the other federations in Africa and and throughout Europe is that there's more direct investment. Uh, Italy's a great example too. There's more direct investment in the women's game and it's leading to greater results and a greater uh, diversity of play and higher overall level. Um, I wonder how nice that is to see now that that's starting to come to fruition and people are really realizing, hey, if, if we invest in this, it, this, is, this is what it takes. It takes putting uh, you know, the money where people's mouths are. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. I think um, you make a great point that we're seeing the countries that are putting money into their women's program, we're seeing how quickly those those countries are elevated and how well they've done. And then we're also seeing um, when countries don't, right? I mean, I, I can use Brazil's example. It feels like they start over every four years, right? Mm-hmm. Because their their country just doesn't put the, the the support and money behind them. And that's a team that could be vying for a... a, a a world championship um, every four years, right? They could be vying for that world title. And so, um, so it's just been an unbelievable platform, like I said, for these higher level conversations that are needed. And, um, but it's been, yeah, I mean, listen, one of the other conversations we could have is like, why is this a testing ground for VAR on the women's side Mm -hmm. and new rules, right? Coming into this world, like how in the world has the VAR not been implemented on the women's side, but all of a sudden in the world cup it is right. And, these new rules. So that's a whole nother conversation. And yes, there's been some mishaps and there's been getting it right. But at the same time, um, I think that the key there is that people are paying attention. And so the conversations are at least being started. Um, and I think we're going to see that continued on. We, we were going to talk, we were going to talk more about VAR, but Greg has his finger on his ear. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to hold off on that for now. Um, um but I, I definitely yeah. want to know, um, Obviously, USA France uh, coming up. If you were in Jill Ellis's shoes, um, which three midfielders are you putting out there against France uh, to start that game? It seems like they have four starters for three spots. Wh- which three are you going? Yeah, with? you know uh, my my opinion is probably going to be unpopular, but I would probably go with um, Julie Ertz and Becky Sauerbrunn in the back, and then I'd play U.S. Haran and Rose Bell in the middle. Mm-hmm. That was a good job of avoiding the the question. That was good. That was good. <laughs> so I play all four of them. Just move to there. To just the just jam everyone in there. Yeah. I I, I mean yeah, I, exactly. that I, that makes sense. I, I I mean I think I think Doll Kemper's been really great. But the the dynamism that I guess you get from Ertz is mm-hmm. no matter where you put her is going to be in, impacting the game. Yeah. I mean I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean Doll Kemper has been very good, but I think Ertz is more comfortable in the back. And I think those three midfielders, um, and I, I get it. We can talk about our the opponents that we played when they've um, they've been on the field, but at the same time, they provide a balance that we haven't seen in that midfield. And I think that that could be extremely useful against this France team um, because they're all good enough defensively, and if they are in a good shape, um, it, I think that's going to be important because France can move the ball, they understand tactically, um, they can break us down tactically if we're not careful. And having those three that I mentioned in the midfield, I think, would provide that balance and the ability to, like, spray balls and open up the game in a way that we wouldn't if um, Julie Ertz was in there. And it's, no, it's not a knock on her in the midfield. I just think she's better in the um, in the back. And those three, I think, just kind of have a smoothness together in the midfield. So you had an opportunity to play with the women's team in 2011 when they went to the World Cup. Then what, what, what for a player, uh, what's the experience like for – uh, uh, for the players, the, the, just the whole, you know, the the whole circus, uh, just the whole, mm-hmm. you know, the whole atmosphere. It is honestly the most unbelievable thing, and I think what um, um, I was so excited about in 2011 is because you know Germany is about the same size as France, it's a smaller country, it's easy to get around, you could feel the energy um, throughout the country, and it's easy for friends and family. Yosaka does a great job um, to home base, the friends and family, and then they travel to all of our games, and that was in Frankfurt and Germany and Paris this year. So there's just like this real vibrancy, and it's exciting for the players because you have the days off, so you can do a little bit of sightseeing. But um, it is a circus, and you can easily get caught up because people, as the tournament keeps going, there's more and more visibility. You can, you can feel the excitement around, and it's really about like managing your emotions because for most people – this is the, this is what they've been dreaming about. And that's like, I mean, just whatever you dreamt about as a little kid, right. If it's sport, Mm -hmm. then just imagine that 
you're there because it's exactly what it's like. It is so fun. People are so into it. There's World Cup um, memorabilia, whatever, uh, fan stuff everywhere, and it's just, it's like unbelievable. But it's easy to get caught up in it. So it's like, I think what the U.S. team does well, and especially with a lot of energy around this team and facing France so early, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out tomorrow. But it really is about like managing those emotions because it's easy to get caught up and it's easy to like ride that wave quickly and get into the highs and lows of everything if you don't just kind of like take the break between games. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me a prediction for the U.S. and France. 2-1 U.S. <laughs> Excellent. Lori, <laughs> Lori, this has been fantastic. Love having you on. Hope to have you on again in the season. Hope to get you up in the studio next time. Awesome. Yes, please do. And I'd love to be on again. Thanks so much. Love the questions. And... Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lori. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. That was a lot of fun. Lori Lindsay, uh, the new, I guess, you know, new this year, uh, studio analyst for your Philadelphia Union, talking Union, talking Women's World Cup, and uh, it's great to get that perspective. I guess I don't think we've ever had a World Cup player on the program uh, that I can recall. I mean, I, you would have had Harris, but I, I don't think yeah, on, on well, the, you know, Harris has been side, on, yeah. yeah, on the women's side, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Har- yeah that's right, Harris has been... Yeah, Plus, I mean, I was confused as to what Jill Ellis was doing with her midfield on uh, on Tuesday when they yeah. played against Spain. So we go to we go to an expert in U.S. midfield. There you go. Uh, I'm still probably a little confused as to what Jill Ellis was doing, but that's okay. Yeah, that's not, I, I was. We wouldn't put that on Lori or anyone to, to uh, necessarily decode that, but it's working. Right. It worked. We'll see how it works Friday. Yeah, the midfield, the substitution situation. It was. Uh, um, yeah, we'll, I don't rest. We'll, I don't rest. <laughs> I, I think I think Lindsey Horan has is. Arguably, one of, if not the best midfielder in the world. I don't rest her until someone tells me, no, legally you have to rest right, her. Right. But that's yeah. just that's just me. But then, uh, by the same time, Sam Mewis has been excellent, mm-hmm. and Rose, Rose Lavelle has been very good, and Julie Ertz is, if not, is is one of the most dynamic players in the world. Oh, so, she's, I mean, she's a blast to yeah, watch. And, and I think I think Sam Mewis has had the World Cup that we maybe thought that not that Haran hasn't had a great World mm-hmm. Cup, but. Haran has been a little bit more established, and Mewis is kind of the person right. that like has just burst onto people's consciousnesses and has just been. I mean, she was running around in the 85th minute like it was the fifth. So, right. um, yeah, that's going to be fun. Friday's going to be uh, Friday's going to be a, a day of pretty much scheduling my entire day around where yeah. and how I'm watching the world. It's going to be a great game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, be a great. You know, it's going to be everything you want that game to be. And it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, I don't know what the Parc de Prince sits, but. Uh, you'd be able to fin- fill it more than once over. I think so, yeah. and it seems like, um, to, to their credit, it, it feels like the country's really risen up for their women's team uh, in France, and are really kind of urging them and pushing them on, which is great to see. Which is exactly what what you want to see. And I'm glad you touched on that. It's just such the dichotomy that you see between the programs that invest and care about their women's game and the ones that don't, and you know, a, a, a traditional footballing country like Argentina, who treats their mm-hmm. women's team as an afterthought, is ridiculous. Or and, a team, as as Laurie brought up, of like Brazil that yeah. has so undervalued, uh, so undervalued player development in a country where soccer is just absolutely yeah. in the DNA. That every four years, for literally the last three decades, they they've gone and said, "Well, who's our central midfielder?" We'll go get Formiga. Just go get her. Right. We'll bring her back in, and as she's in her seventh World Cup, and it's it, it's terrible that we have to bring it up in a way of like, oh wow, if you if you actually give players the respect and resources they deserve, of course it's going to like so many times during this tournament, you've tried not to frame it as like a oh wow, I didn't know that this would happen. When right. of course it would happen. It's common sense. But you right. look what Spain has done. Um, the amazing young players that they've mm-hmm. that they've generated, and they're jamming sixty thousand people. Uh, to watch, uh, you know, women's soccer in that country uh, because programs like Barcelona and now Real Madrid at, at a long delay and Atletico mm-hmm. have attached their name to it. France has done it. Um, England has done it in a, in a yeah. greater way. And they're, they're, they've been impressive in this tournament. Yeah, and just, just really took it to Norway yeah, today. Yeah, and, and the, the English Women's League, I mean, it's pegged to the prem and a lot of the, you know, I think Manchester United finally 
talking about teams finally doing it, Manchester United in the last couple they're of years. One of the holdouts, yeah. yeah, or 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 is, you know look, you know looking into doing it, or you know they're um, one of the ones lagging behind. Yeah, others, yeah, yeah. But you know, on the flip side, you look at Arsenal, who you know won the uh, quadruple one year and yes. have had just traditionally a great women's side. Uh, I'd like to see a certain MLS team that we might talk about a little bit later <laughs> uh, do something similar in its efforts towards uh, girls and women's soccer and oh. expand that. But that's well, probably we'll the that. conversation and, for you know, day. We'll, we'll get to the union in a minute, but just just talking about Brazil, you know, not being the, you know, not having the team they should have, where, where, where they have a player like Marta who's been just flying the flag for that mm-hmm. for the women's game for so long, and you know that call the called arm she did at the end after after they lost to France was just you know that could that, things like that can inspire a nation. Yeah, that could, it's, it could. It's so much that it's not even in a lot of countries, and I sense it's this way in Brazil. It's not even like well, give the women something so it helps them. No, it's just stop actively putting roadblocks right, in their right. way. Just, Don't go out of your way to actively block certain right. things and england has a you know uh, many european nations there was a really interesting uh, there's an interesting book out there that i have to get around to reading about how you know women's soccer organized soccer was banned for years on mm-hmm. the european continent like those kinds of things like don't go out right. of your way just let the spirit don't. and the enthusiasm and the ingenuity of of these young girls like, and women like, like just the, let them shine. like with the argentinian team don't force them to travel coach right <laughs> don't <laughs> when, when, don't not we're not saying you have to give every Nigerian women's player a million dollars a year. We're saying you have to give them actual cost of living right. that you promised. And no, they're not going to leave the team hotel unless you actually make good on your contract. That's that's not giving the benefits. That's actively doing the thing that you said you were going exactly. to do. All right. That's that's what we're at. All right, we uh, we'll get back to maybe some talk talk of that uh, USA and France, but let's talk about your Philadelphia Union, another team that's doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> Yes. Speaking of segues, Greg. Speaking of segues, that was nice. Uh, Philadelphia Union get out of New England with a point, uh, a hard fought point. Uh, they trailed for a good good portion of that match. I think the word you're looking for is ugly. It was not a good game. No. Um, New England's playing better. I mean, you you, you kind of predicted that they they look like a Bruce Arena team. You know, they're not making mistakes. They're playing. They're not dynamic, but they're playing fundamentally pretty good. And I mean. Uh, it was it was difficult for them to play worse. It was no, so, they were abject, and yes. as the six one uh, scoreline yes, here, they're told they're you. closer to what they are. I think yeah. Bruce is getting Bruce Arena's getting closer to turning them into what they are rather than but, but, whatever they. I were mean, because look at their roster; they're not a great team, but they have talent. I mean, they have their their roster tells you they should be better than they are. Uh, you know, Har- Carlos Gil is pretty yeah. good, and he saw what he did to the Union last night. Uh, they lead the league in Caicedos, uh, which has got to be worth something. I, it wasn't worth anything when the Union led the league in far fans. No, but, well, you know, you know. Um, so the Union, yeah, and you saw, like we talked about with uh, Laurie, um, kind of the scoring deficiencies the team has, and hopefully Andrew Vuten, if that's that's where we're going with. Uh, I think that's. I think it's it's a harder W than a, it's almost a Dutch W. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yes. Like, I'm not going to try it. Uh, I don't know. I I I'm, I think Wooten is fine for we'll, me. We'll go with Wooten yes. then. Um, yeah, he seems like a guy that can carry that burden. He seems like a guy. Because honestly, Cats Cats Shiboko, nice player, but he was a guy he kind of brought on, kind of kind of off the scrap heap a little bit, and you hope to hope to get something out of him. Yeah, a little bit out of him. Um, you know, Corey Burke. That situation is that situation. Santos. Been a bit of a disappointment so far. I mean, not not. He's had a lot of chances. You really feel like get he, you know, he needs to finish. I mean, that's that's definitely a situation. And you have Fafa in the mix as a four, and I don't think they're using him in the best way. No, but I think he's kind of outnumbered in this system. Yeah, I don't think. I, I think. I, I think that both Fafa and uh, Sergio Santos will be better as a second forward playing off of Wooten mm-hmm. than they are off of Casper. Um, you really can't say how they were off of Burke. Right. That was a, that was a short, uh, yeah. short experiment this year. Um, and I think Fafa generally heats up as the weather gets warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it, I think Shabilko has been really good this year, Yeah, but he's also played something like 899 out of the last 900 possible minutes, which is too much, too much for him. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that it's always very difficult to scale strikers outputs and, you know, to, to think, and that's, that's part of what makes El Sino so dangerous is that you can actually kind of distill him into concentrated bursts and it still works. Right. Um, that doesn't always happen with strikers. We saw it with Jay Simpson for years is that, you know, some guys just can't come off the bench. I don't know if Shabilko is that, but he's done a good job in, in his role. Um, but I don't think he's a 15 goal scorer in MLS. I, I think there's just not enough minutes in a season for him to get to 15 mm-hmm. goals at the kind of rate that he's at. He's been very good. He's still going to have a big role going forward. I really, really think. Yeah. Um, but when you bring in Wooten, he's 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 a different. I think he's a higher level than these other guys. Yeah. And I think that's going to improve everyone around them. And you have the X factor of of getting Marco Fabian back in theory at some point, uh, ankles willing. Right. And it you can almost make now with Wooten in, and so you have Wooten, Shabelko, Fafa, Santos, so you can make these kind of like-for-like changes. Right. You finally have a restoration of, which I think was the plan at the beginning of the year, but you finally have two out-and-out center forwards yeah. and two support strikers. Yeah. And you don't have to constant like, you have another late-game plan other than Il Signo go do stuff. Right. Like, you got something else now. Yeah, because, and, yeah, with Wooten, because without Wooten and with Fabian being injured and in and out, what they're doing is great. They're in first place. It just doesn't feel sustainable. Now it does, mm-hmm. you know, with Wooten and hopefully with Fabian. Because what what Il Senio does is great, but he does he can only do it in thirty minute, forty minute shots. You're, and not all the time. And not all the time. I mean, he he didn't he did it a little bit in New England. He wasn't really. Yeah, I think he caused he was more smoke than fire. Yeah, against, against New England. Yeah, he he were kind of waiting for that moment and really come. It was and funny enough, Fafa provided that moment. He was yeah, the guy that came could, off the. You could argue that the that the outside back was slower to react to him because yeah. he was exhausted re- or, yeah. or haunted by. You got because you got to respect what Elsina yeah. is going to do. So you, you you might give yeah. So he'll create other space. So, um, but. What he does in thirty minutes, what Elsino does in thirty minutes, you were counting on Fabian to do for seventy, eighty, ninety minutes, and you just haven't had that. Yeah, uh, with any, and, you know, I, I love the kid. I love Aronson. He's getting kicked off the ball constantly. Mm-hmm. He's not getting calls, and you're just pegging a lot on an eighteen year old kid. Yeah, I think he needs a little bit of a reset. I think, a, um, yeah, yeah. I, and not a not a Bethlehem reset, no. but just a you know, kind of get back into the flow a little bit. I think he's been. I was thinking about this the other night. He's been good enough for his role, mm-hmm. but the question is: is now can he be elite? And in the past, the union have, you know, cobbled together solutions in places like the number ten with guys who are not good enough to do the job. And the question was: well, can they get to be good enough to do the job? Right. Brendan Aronson is good enough to do the job. Is he good enough to be elite at the job? And that's now the jump that you're asking him no, to make. That, that, no, that's a great question. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know. I wrote this today, and it'll be available in the Delco Times on Friday. <laughs> um, but to put it all into perspective, their first place in the Eastern Conference, their two leading scorers last year, Pico and Burke, combined for 20 goals last year and have, what, three this year? Yeah. Forget how many Burke had before he left, but right. not a lot. Right. And Marco Fabian has done nothing. Really. It hasn't done anything since really March or April. Right. And they're still in first place, and that speaks to a lot. Games like games like Wednesday night in uh, in New England, it's not a great performance, but there is something very important about the toughness to be able to win games when you're not at your best. Long term, you want to be able to get to a point where you're consistently at your best and playing your best soccer and and executing a game plan for ninety minutes and all those things. And I think they're working their way towards there. Um, but the fact that they can get results, that's how you end up with a home game in the playoffs mm-hmm. is your ability uh, to grind out results in those kinds of games. So it's good and it's bad. Yeah. It's, it's more good than bad. Right. Um, but it's also a work in progress. And something, uh, we, we, you know, we have Matt Leon, uh, my, uh, you know, my colleague Matt Leon, uh, on, and something we would talk about off Mike lot, we talked about it on the show. In the past, the union were great at turning three points into one, one point into the zero. That script's been flipped, and you saw it last night. Because that was looking like no points. That was looking like you're not getting out of New England or anything. And they were able to find that little extra at the end where they created in a, in a lousy game, created a lousy goal, but it got you a point, and you got out of there with a, you know when it looked like you weren't getting out of there with anything. So I think 
Yeah, that's a talent thing. It's also a mentality thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the mentality of that team as, as, as of the team has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think down the road, those are going to mesh. Yeah. You're going to have that, uh, that mentality that's behind those comebacks. Mm-hmm. You're going to have it manifest in games where they're really playing well from the outset. And you're not going to have to leave it late. And it's yeah. it's not just this game. I mean, it's the Minnesota game. It's the Red Bulls game. It's the Dallas game early in the season. It's two second-half goals against Cincinnati. Right. There's a lot of games like this where they've come on late and, you know, saved results or gotten results late. And you're right. That's not sustainable as they go into the playoffs. But Jim Curtin talks a lot about peaking too early. Mm-hmm. And they're not really in danger of peaking early because I don't think they're even necessarily playing that well right now right. despite the And they don't have all their parts. Streak. Yeah, they still don't have all their parts going. But so form is something that's fleeting. Yeah. I don't think this mentality is. This idea of constantly battling and, and constantly having the guts to pull out. the Like that's not something that I think is going to peak in the summer. I mean you're going to hit blips and you don't want to hit a slump. But I mean that yeah. I don't think is something. To it's, it's something that I think you know players feed on. And, and if one guy can step up, then you kind of feed on that. And I could be the guy that steps up. And Felsino did it one game, then Fafa can do it in another game, and mm-hmm. you know things things like that. And you know if Aronson could be the young kid thrown out there, maybe you know I'm Fontana. I could be the young kid that gets thrown out there again, and I could make something happen. And so it, it I think just this mentality just, just kind of builds on itself, and it seems like and and. Yeah, you know, I think Jim has said it. I think the the, the trick sustaining it—that's mm-hmm. the real trick, and that's on him, and that's on the staff. I think, and, he, and it, they've done it so far. You know, but again, you know, we're still in June. Yeah, and I, and I think when you do it once or twice, it there's a there's a luck element to it. I, I don't think that when you do it consistently, it, it's a lucky thing, or or it's you know, it's a lucky break, or it's really something that they have instilled in this group it Mm -hmm. comes from hard work it comes as a result of um the bonds that they've built it comes from fitness uh you know they were the fitter team in the second Mm -hmm. half it comes from all those things and those are important things that are not just luck or not just one-offs and they're certainly not one-offs because we've seen it what five or six times i think in the broadcast yesterday they mentioned they're one of the leading scoring teams in the second half and obviously that's inflated by five against you know, three against Red Bulls, five against the Revs last time. Right, but, but I mean, that's that's a that's yeah. a talent. Um, it's not a talent that you necessarily want to rely on and go into a playoff game against Atlanta and say, okay, well, let's throw away the first seventy minutes and then let's see what we could do against them yeah. in the last twenty. But it, it's a talent that can be built on. And right. I mean, compared to where the Union have been this point of other seasons and how few positives there have been uh, to build on non Open Cup right. uh, variety. Um, it's it's a real positive. So, you know, we texted a little bit last night during the game about uh, Sergio Santos. What do you think? And, and I think it probably goes back to you know uh, Marco Fabian. But what, what do you think needs to get to happen to get him online? Because he, he's quick. He gets into the box. It's just something in that final moment. It feels like you know just the finishing and maybe a little bit of the decision making once he's in the box and kind of in position that, that seems it's not quite there yet. Yeah. I don't know that the relationship, the communication between him and Shabilko is great. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a lot of times when he turns and picks his head up, Shabilko's not in the box. Um, and when you have that four, four, two, you're not going to have that backside runner. Yeah. I think he's probably a little bit more effective when there is that kind of four, two, three, one, yeah. and, and you've got that backside runner and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know what that's necessarily going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I'll be interested to see if having Wooten here changes the equation with him. Um, I don't know that Santos is the, is the holdup guy next to Fafa. I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I think Saturday against, uh, against New York city, I think you're going to see Casper and, and Fafa get the start. Um, yeah. maybe that ability to sit and watch and then kind of play through will be different. Um, it's possible that, you know, when everyone gets in there, that Santos and, uh, Fabian will have some kind of chemistry and, and that'll kind of get him going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just them playing through it and, you know, probably getting one to go and, and then, and then figuring things out. I, I don't think he's been bad. Right. Um, I just don't necessarily know that he's been the, 
scorer that you wanted him to be and or possibly down the road need him to be? I think it's just the opportunities he's had. He kind of just the guy that's been brought in to be a striker and to be a guy that gets goals. He needs to score on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, well, Jim would talk about CJ a lot. Well, he does stuff that doesn't show up on the score sheet. It's fine. But when you're striker, you need to show up on the score sheet. You need to be, you know, you know, Montero not showing up on the score sheet is fine if he doesn't get a goal or assist because you know he's doing 10 other things. He's tracking people. He's causing turnovers. He's he's shuttling the ball around. So you know that's happening. You don't always know that's happening with a striker if he's not scoring. And and it just it's it is one of the frust one of the frustrating things that comes around with this team is they get guys in that position that aren't complete or don't score. Hopefully, Wooten is the guy that does it. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just it's like it's a little frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I feel like in my mind's eye, and this is a completely unscientific uh, methodology here. But when I I feel like Santos gets the ball with his back to goal a lot, yeah, and that's, in the box or running, you know, diagonal runs that yeah. he's run to the left and Wagner's played a ball in, like not in great positions. And I I think if yeah. um and and I think a lot he's he's you know when El Sino's come in, if if he's one of the two forwards and then El Sino comes in, uh, the play is going to be down El Sino's side yeah. and he's going to be the opposite side. So the play he's going to be kind of de-emphasized. Right. Um, so I feel like having Fabian back is going to be more helpful for him. I think he likes those kinds of channel runs and being able to play the one-twos yeah. with somebody. I think that's a little bit more his speed and I think it's going to be helpful mm-hmm. when Fabian comes back. And I don't think they've played together much yeah. because he was out at the beginning of the season when Fabian's, uh, you know, was there. And yeah. then, then Fabian went out and then Santos came back in. So I, I think be, be, un, until he, if he's not producing with Fabian next to him, yeah. then maybe we start to get worried. Yeah, because it, it just seems like he's a guy that you want to see getting the ball at his feet, like from, a, from through the middle or like a knockdown where he, you know, not so much from the flanks. It, it doesn't seem like he's at. Well, and, but yeah. and part of it also is that I think he was envisioned as a counterattacker. Mm-hmm. And I think the Union have had more of the ball than they've expected <laughs> they're this better, year. They're a better team. They'll need the counterattack because they're, I mean, like even, even they're last, attacking. Even last night, I would have thought that they, you know, that would be a game where it's like, all right, let, yeah. keep a high line. Let, uh, let some pretty ineffectual New England defenders kick the ball around the back and then try and jump on them. Right. And, you know, just make sure that you have someone in front of Carlos Gil at all times. Mm-hmm. They had 60% of the possession last right. night. And granted, that's because they're ch- chasing the game for a long time. But even still, that's a lot of the ball away yeah. from home on a surface that you're unfamiliar with. So I, I wonder if that's part of it, too. If if Ernst went out and got him under the understanding that he'd be kind of a guy who, you know, you try and counter with a lot. Maybe he's more of a fit for that than he yeah. is for a possession type. And maybe he's not the one-two guy. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. What do you think? And you saw a little bit last night, and I think a couple other games you've seen it where, and again, talking about something that's sustainable, I'm not sure if it is, but uh, when Montero pushed a little higher, a little more centrally. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Ray Gaddis um, and that channel run. My God, yes, I thought he. I was like, I was sitting, you? I was sitting in my, I was sitting in the office working in air quotes. And uh, I, I just kind of my entire body like tensed up. I was like, I was so close. And I think Fafa might have actually blocked that. I think so. Yeah. I think he might have gotten close. To that the was as close as we got into a Ray goal. I mean, it's hard to believe that's a guy who hasn't scored in almost 200 games uh, with that finishing ability. But uh, no, I think Montero, I think Montero does so much. Yeah. I think what you saw last night is funny because I, as I was watching the game, I was thinking to myself, boy, Bedoya is really not involved in the attack in mm. the least. And it's because he did so much defensive work. Right. And he was kind of, I think he was the broadcast defensive player of the game because he was he was all over the pitch. He completed like 93% of his passes. Right. Um and he did a lot of defensive work and I think that might be a little bit of a wrinkle too is that when you when you go to that 4-2-3-1, mm-hmm. you're you're really you're pulling Bedoya back yeah. and you're letting him kind of you're letting Montero go forward. It's interesting. I I don't think that's Montero's think, best position. No, probably not, but I think it's it's an interesting look. I think they could, and with the freedom that they have, they could throw different looks at teams. It's an interesting look they can use, but and just because he's really good on the ball and he's quick and he moves the ball quickly and all that. Um, but yeah, he's 
you know, you, you want him being the guy that pursues the ball. You want him to yeah. be the guy that like kind of creates havoc for the other team and causes the turnover and, and, and things like that. So you're, you're gaining a little bit. I think you're gaining. You're losing a lot. Mm-hmm. I, but I, I think in small doses, it, to throw another team off balance, it would be good. But it it just looks intriguing when it when they do use it. But yeah, it, it's also yeah. it's also kind of a little bit of the best option because if yeah. you're going to go to that four two three one, you do technically need someone at the number ten. Right. And you're not going to throw Bedoya up there, so you are going to throw Montero up there. Yeah. And he's really great from 35 yards to 18 yards. Mm -hmm. And then you see once he gets to the area, and this is not all his fault. This is sometimes that there's not a lot of movement. There's not a lot of guys making those speculative runs. Casper usually pulls back rather than goes forward. It seems like it stalls. And that's why he shoots a lot, I think. Not only – he has a very good shot. He does, yeah. He shoots a lot. But those those one-twos and that final ball – he doesn't necessarily have that a lot, and mm-hmm. it's totally understandable because I think it's he's played a, most of his career as a six, right. and certainly he's not a he's not a Dutch ten. I mean, he's a, he's a you know he's a guy who's further back. Um, but I think it's interesting. I, yeah. I'd be interested to see what Montero says about that role. I mean, usually guys don't complain about getting a less defensive responsibilities. Right. True, um, but, but it is a little bit of a departure for him. But yeah, but he, but like I say, he's just so good at so many other things, and he's you know. It, it's it's such a, it, it's such a dichotomy that he's a defensive midfielder, but he's so positive at it that he yeah. the the things he creates off of his defense are so positive. You know, he's not. And I think that's why he's such an elite guy. Yeah. It's probably a little bit that you know to be the skills you need to be an elite number six in Europe are a little different. Skill, yeah. You know, you're not just you're, you're not just out there wrecking people. You're out there. Yeah, I mean, doing something with the right, ball. And to be a really it. good uh, to be a really good n- number six in in the Netherlands is to be a really, really good number eight in MLS yeah. is to be a passable number 10 in MLS right. with, the, with kind of the foot skills. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, and the way he reads the game is, is excellent. And I'm, I'm sure there will be some, um, you know, it'll be interesting, not for now, but it'll be interesting to see down the road if he owns the sixth job instead of Harris. Right? But that's all. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, quick prediction. And then we'll talk a little bit about the women. Someone will complain about the field on Saturday. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. They yes. play. They play in the band box. They do. That is yes. Yankee Stadium. I will complain about the fact that we are three subway stops away from where the benches are, um, in the press box because they're on the other side of the field. Right. And it, you know, I mean, you're behind home plate. They ever getting a stadium? Is that ever happening? No, I, no. You know, there's not a whole lot of land. That's the which thing. is which is ironic because there is a huge parcel of empty land right next to City Field, right? Which would be absolutely perfect. Um, but I don't think. Because, I, don't. I mean, it was so much we're emphatically we're staying in the five boroughs, we're doing this. Then, well, Long Island doesn't look too bad. And so it sounds like they play footsies with that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, so they're playing footsies with that a little bit. But I digress. Um, I'll go with a score draw up there. Uh, 1 1 2 2, however you want to slice it. But. Yeah, I think this is probably a game that they lose, something like 2-1. Okay. Um, they don't play great up there. Uh, I don't I don't understand how things necessarily work in that stadium. No, I, don't I, I would and, think and that I would that's think That's got to be just the hardest place to game plan for. You really got to just got to get your personnel right because I mean the ball the transition is so quick. Yeah, and I think they're better equipped for it now that they yeah. have a guy now that they're I mean they're going to field in all likelihood Montero and Fabian, who are yeah. two guys that can move the ball faster than anybody they had last year. Like yeah. last year, I would have thought that the the confines would help Harris and mm-hmm. that he has less room to move, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Yeah. Um, you know, New York City does it with Ring in midfield, and he is amazingly mobile and covers absolutely a ton of ground. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that and, you know, what Fabian looks like in that kind of yeah. uh, setup. They'll get a backup goalie because uh, Sean Johnson's not there, right? Sean Johnson's still in New York. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Sean Johnson's not there. Uh, I'm not sure who their uh, who their backup is. Um, so that'll be something as a possibility, but it'll be interesting to see. All right. Uh, so USA France tomorrow, two o'clock. Uh, as big as a game as the women have played probably since the last World Cup. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I think it's bigger than. Uh, I mean, had they progressed further in the in the Olympics, maybe we could have talked about yeah. that. But. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be. Uh, I think uh, the Spain game is a wake up call for what happens if you aren't sharp. Yeah. Um. And the, the joy of the, the joy of the the mm. 
group stage, and it was in that. Isn't this fun? And look at how we're rampaging these teams. Uh, not that yeah. is not that they were really consciously taking that view. Um, well, I think is going to be a wake up yeah, call. There's no, no, no more Thailands on the schedule. No, they are going to have to answer some questions. Um, I think they need something more at center forward. Whether that's you know how healthy Alex Morgan is, um, I think she'll be aided by the fact that you'll have a more dynamic midfield behind her. Um, and I think you need to get Tobin Heath more involved. She was, she's so technically skilled, and yeah. she's. I mean, but she can be detached from the game. Like he, she could be just, just feels like she's separate from and not connected to the rest of the team sometimes. And you need to get her involved more. Uh, I would hope Jill Ellis would be a little bit quicker with the subs, uh, yeah. whether it's Press or, or Mal Pugh. Um, I'm not picking against the U.S. I'm not either, but I, I think Spain showed you a little something about how you can play them and you could be physical and be in their face and challenge every ball and and it will maybe hobble them a little bit, maybe mentally, it seemed like. Hmm. Um yeah, maybe hobble's the wrong word. But just they I mean, I think Spain got in their head a little bit. I think just with the physicality of it and, and all that and they challenged every ball and were, you know, pressed and were in were in their face on a lot of stuff and uh, I, I think France is probably a little more skilled, so they may not lean on that as much. But I also don't think the U.S. will be taken by surprise. No, if no, no. Is, if France is uh, physical, I think the surprise factor played into it. I didn't think Spain largely. Would be that, I mean, you kind of physical. You just kind of you felt it, like watching that game, and you, and you felt the that Sergio Ramos had given like a <laughs> yeah like gave a, the prep talk. Yeah, that's a and, great. That's a great tweet that I should have sent four <laughs> days ago. <laughs> but you felt it, and you saw it in their game. Like I think they were just. You know, all all the passes were a little too hard. All the touch, the touch was a little too hard, and you just felt like it, Alex they, Morgan always had a knee in her back every time she went right. up for a ball. You just felt like they were just you said call off guard, and it really affected their game. And you, you think you hope that, like you said, it was a wake up call, and they they kind of went over that. So yeah, I can't pick against you. I'll, I'll say I'm going, two, I'm going two nothing after extra time. Uh. I'll say two 0 in the ninety. They'll they'll take care of business in the no, Lindsay Horan gets a goal. Yeah, um, for the for the French Redemption Tour. We got to talk about this because it's happening in the city, uh, USA against that soccer powerhouse Curacao. I forgot about that. Yes. Hey, I looked at the Curacao lineup last night. They've yeah. got some skilled players. Okay. Uh, Leandro Bacuna, who used to play for Villa West Ham, okay. is at Cardiff yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple guys that have played in Holland. Uh, I feel like a couple guys. Yeah, that there's probably... there's guys that because I mean because is the Dutch connection. There's guys that get I guess yeah. get into the probably the a couple guys that were uh, I'm sure a former teammate of Jamiro Montero in there somewhere. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. They've got some interesting mm-hmm. players. A couple guys that you would have heard of. Uh, I hope the U.S. doesn't take them lightly because mm. we're going to have to find out where a lot of people are going to learn where Curacao is. <laughs> Uh, quickly. What have you learned about the, the men's team? About Curacao? Well, that. Andrew Jones. Okay, yeah, besides, yeah, okay. That, that's what I'm saying. Is he that's played? all I got. Okay. And the liquor. <laughs> he was a hell of a player, Andrew Jones. He was a hell, hell of an outfielder. Um, Would have been a good center mid. Yeah, probably. Lanky. Yeah, probably. He probably, he probably played a bit of, bit of football in his I'm day. Sure, yeah. I'm sure he did. Um, what have we learned in this tournament about the U.S. Uh, men's national team? My biggest takeaway is that Tyler Boyd's a player. Yeah, uh, which for sure. Is, which is great. Um, yeah, it was kind of... I yeah. I still remain a little underwhelmed at the uh, at the tech at, at the personnel the personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when you look at this team and you say, is Aaron Long and and uh, Walker Zimmerman really our two best center backs? Is Nick Lima really our best outside back? Right. I know there's you know John Brooks and DeAndre Yedlin and and all this and Tim Way is out there somewhere yeah. in in the mix and Josh Sargent. Um, I I think they're getting better. Um, I think what they're doing right now is something that they didn't do well under Jurgen Klinsmann, which is that when you play in CONCACAF, you got to be direct. You kind of got to, you know, it, it doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be pretty much right, right. down the throats of Guyana because they're an inferior team. It's got to be right at Trinidad. And it's got to be right at Curacao. That's it's always good. been my knock with the men's team yeah. is like when you play these guys, you just got to line up and be better than Absolutely. them. And, and line up and just – that's that's always what separates the men's and the women's team. It's like when the women's team plays against somebody like the equivalent of you know Guyana or the equivalent of whomever, they line up and they bulldoze them. Yeah, and we've seen it in this tournament. They'll just line up and knock them off the field because that's what you're supposed to do. And it's not even an intense. I think it's even a tactical question. It's not yeah. even an intensity thing. But like what it takes, 
you know, there were the the years under Klinsmann where they won friendlies in Europe in March against Germany and the Netherlands, yeah. and that's great, but it doesn't make a damn bit of difference if you can't go do it in Kuva on a Tuesday, on a rainy Tuesday right. in November. And there's a way that you have to play against CONCACAF, and that's the first step for a national team. I right. think eventually you want to be able to have the tactical nuance to where you can break down a Germany, you can attack yeah. a Spain, you can do something against France. But, but you can't be befuddled by Jamaica. Right, and right now, Paul Areola is a direct run straight. You know, I'm not a huge Paul Areola fan, but for the Gold Cup, perfect. He's yeah. going to run straight at guys. Tyler Boyd, is he going to play? Is he going to star in a World Cup for the U.S.? You know, is he the second coming of Landon Donovan? Probably not. But you know what? Every time he picked the ball up against uh, Trinidad, he had his head up and he ran at somebody. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of times he made them look foolish. Yeah. All right. So I know I know Will Trapp is a great tactical kind of passer and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But you know what? Against against these inferior teams, Michael Bradley's getting the ball and dumping it off to someone who's then going to run forward. Right. And luckily that's Weston McKinney. Yeah. So because they're gonna they're gonna you know, because you play against these teams, you dwaddle on the ball, they're gonna kick it. Yeah. And, that, and, and I mean that's, and that's sure. I mean if Tyler Boyd is making that run against France and he's trying to, you know, run by, you know, Pogba, Rafael, yeah, yeah. Pogba and Varane, <laughs> that's not going to go well. But you ain't playing them, so you yeah. can do that. Right. I think that's a good first step. Yeah. Um, it still needs to be seen how that scales up against uh, Mexico or Costa Rica. It still remains to be seen how that scales up against better opposition. Yeah. Um, but there are certainly positives. Yeah. yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, I think we'll wrap it up on that. This has been the most positive uh, Philly soccer show this ever. This is amazing. It's um, unbelievable. Well, just feel good about everything. Uh, I want to thank Lori Lindsay for joining us. She uh, did a great job. Hope to have her on again throughout the year. Hope she sticks around with the with the broadcast team. Uh, but she's really, I think, think she's really added a lot and has done a very nice job for them. Yeah, I got to be, I, I think I've, she wasn't on the broadcast. I don't think I've heard her a ton yeah. because it's been has it been mostly home games. I think mostly that yeah. she's done. Yeah, she'll, so she'll yeah, I mean, home we're in stadium, so I can't really comment on that. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's always they've always done a really good job of bringing in people and mm-hmm. ha- having them learn, and and they've yeah. done a good job. She mentioned uh, Lori mentioned Jill Lloyd and yeah. Heather Mitz did uh, work with did them for job. years. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that connection is still going strong. Oh, for sure. And uh, Matt, as always, please plug away. Let people know where they can find you. All right. You can find me at uh, uh, the Delco Times at DelcoTimes.com in the print edition. I'll have a story tomorrow uh, that I just remembered a typo that I have to fix in. <laughs> uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at SportsDoctorMD. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you soon.